Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Being human is a strange and complicated venture. This becomes even more evident when a human is tossed in with a group of other humans. No matter how small or large, or homogeneous or heterogeneous the group may be, we become aware at some point of what everyone has in common. We then evaluate ourselves and whether or not we fit these parameters. In some ways, fitting in is good, and in some ways, fitting in might make us feel uncomfortable. Likewise, nonconformity can make us feel special and unique, or shameful and outcast. To add another layer, a nonconformity that we may be proud of may be seen as aberrant by the group. Yes, being human is hard. Today, we're talking about what it means to be normal. All right, so I, I changed the intro. Um, I got accepted into a doctoral program in psychology. Congratulations again. So um, I'll, be, I'll be keeping that title for probably at least the next five years <laughs> if I stick with it, yes. <laughs> if I do well enough. Um, so normality, this one comes from a listener request. And um, like we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, I had a really hard time kind of narrowing it down to this topic because the listener asked, hey, can you guys talk about outliers or what makes people, you know, different from each other? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got thinking about it and it was, well, oh man, like this is, this is a really hard thing to kind of define. Mm. So I really, we'll see how far we get in the episode and what kind of ground we cover, but this has the potential to be a two episode or maybe even a, a series looking at different aspects of um, what normality means, both in the context of being human and also um, in some other contexts. So we're going to try to focus in this episode on, on the concept of normal and looking at it from as many of the different facets as we can to sort of box in some conceptualization of it <laughs> as we usually do. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if we deem it too uh, vague by the end of the episode, then we'll try to narrow it down further in future episodes. Um, so I think what we're going to do with it is um, I'm, we'll talk about a couple different parts of it first. So let's start with um, normal is kind of the, the quality of conforming to a norm, really. So norm, can you tell us what a norm is? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> All right. We'll do etymology in a little bit. Uh, so we'll just jump to the norm part right now. A, a nor one of the more current definitions or expectations of the word a norm is a, it can mean average or median. It can, it, it suggests a standard of mode of behavior or uh, and it implies a metric against which you measure whether something is a standard mode of behavior so we can start with that okay and so where that gets kind of interesting is um you know it's Norms are kind of unwritten societal protocols, um, and some of them are written. Um, you know, you'll, we have laws that uh, kind of proscribe some norms for society. Um, 
But even some of those laws aren't really norms. Take for the a no. speed limit, for instance, right? right? A speed limit is a law saying that you should do this thing. Um, but I know, in at least in our area, the norm is to go about five miles an hour over the speed limit. Sometimes you know? 10. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's something we'll get into a little bit later is yes. um, there's a the interpersonal versus the intrapersonal for norms. Mm -hmm. um, so something that may be normal behavior for a person over the, over the course of their experience um, can differ between what's normal for a group of, of people. And then what speed you drive at is a pretty good, is a pretty <laughs> good nice example of that sort of thing. thing yeah, yeah. Yes. So the, the group as a whole might drive five miles and over the speed limit, but there's going to be some people who it's normal for them to drive 10 or 15 over or five under mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got a norm, um, kind of an unwritten rule that people follow. Um, yeah. So what does it mean to be normal then? In that uh, context, in that context, one, I have, uh, one would suppose whatever whatever context you're talking about, that, to be normal is to uh, acknowledge and shape yourself to the standard that seemingly uh, at least an average number of people want. Yeah, I find it it's it's just a gushy mushy thing. <laughs> the, the normalcy is contingent which means it changes like any other contingent thing by generations, by, by groups. And so there is no single norm. You, you, you referred to the idea of laws. And we, we like to espouse the uh, rhetoric of the Congress or local lawmakers representing everyone but it has become painfully clear in our recent history actually if we read history all the way across our history that that simply isn't true so ultimately there are are laws that uh, represent the uh, desired norm of a very particular uh, group of people usually people who are uh, privileged in some way and <clears throat> So you, I don't think it's it's possible to declare a political normalcy, a, even a social normalcy on a grand scale. Right, and so they do study. Um, there, there is sort of a definitional quantification of normal in yeah. various disciplines. If you look at, mm -hmm. you know, psychology or. Uh, medicine or yeah, these absolutely. sorts of things yeah. and sort of the definition of it is you know behavior that falls within roughly two standard deviations so kind of meaning um 19 out of 20 right if 19 out of 20 people are doing something a certain way that's normal and if you're the one person out of the 20 that's not doing something then that's you're probably at so if i'm driving 55 miles an hour and, and and i have a whole lot of yahoos back behind me who just can't wait to get out there and go 65 because after all it's an open road on a hill and everybody knows perry center down to five corners so <laughs> then then i'm not normal right so i'm, right. I'm, I'm so hearing to the, the yeah you could uh, be following the law so you could be following the law but you're not following behavioralistically i'm not following the norm right and so that kind of creates some interesting questions right so here we are doing a philosophy podcast there's a good chance that 
much less than one in 20 people performs a philosophy podcast, right? <laughs> is what we're doing abnormal or is it unusual? Is there a difference between those two terms? I think that the American Psychological Association and the and the and you referred to the formalization of definitions for psychology and other fields probably would be closer to informally unusual than formally abnormal. Uh, I think ad, abnormal tends to carry uh, shouldn't, but it seems to carry a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Unusual seems to have a more viable, less smoke, uh, negative connotation. So I think we're maybe we're unusual. <laughs> from um, from the lingual point of view, mm-hmm. linguistics. Um, is there a difference between the terms? Do you want to get into etymology here? Let's get into etymology here. But let's. Uh, but let's. This is the fascinating thing. I, I, the 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 root of normal is is based uh, on a tool in Latin, but the use of normal in any standard way only started to happen in the early mid eighteen hundreds, the nineteenth century. Hmm. And even then, it was based on, it was tool-based. So normal was, meant perpendicular. (laughs) Okay, so so a right, uh, a square, the tool, a square, that's really what the word normal was was based upon. So you've got, so metaphorically, of course, that's where I hop, just like I do with tangents. I always had students say, oh, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. Good for you. <laughs> you know what a tangent is? You draw a tangent on the, the board from mathematics, and it's a line intersecting a circle at some particular point, right? Well, if you don't, it's a, so you may be off on a nice walk through some idea, very engaging to read, and you touch a point, and that point is is the nexus of an essay. Tangents are welcome and wonderful. Well, all right, so to be normal is to be perpendicular. <laughs> so two different kinds of lines, a linear orthogonal uh, juncture. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, not, o- not just because of thinking of the tool, you know, like a miter square, but also thinking of the time period, you know, kind of the Industrial Revolution, right? And you yeah. think about what life was like before that point and then after that point and what would have been a normal person before the industrial revolution there wouldn't have been one everybody it was trade-based so you know you had somebody who you know was a carpenter somebody who was a shoemaker or a barrel maker right know. so if we're talking about normal in terms of economics yeah yeah right. it's not not what we're doing now and you know if you think of you know people using a, a square to create you know uh a uniform sort of building, um, you know, maybe a factory or, or that sort of thing, you can see how sort of standardization, um, the standardization of human society coincides with the use of the word normal. It kind of makes sense. That way. Yes. And the standardization of human society has always and ever in our context been canted toward a, a privileged group, uh, not 
the entire society. And so when one speaks about normal, if the, the, you and I were chatting about this like with, with the pandemic. I mean, I, I know we, we date ourselves on this podcast when we talk about this, but that's been a big context for us. And and people say, I just want to get back to normal. Well, I, with, I sometimes challenge people when I'm talking with them when they say this because you know, what, what, what does that mean? You know, and, and you do sort of a, a, a Socratic method and, and, and you end up in some very playful and funny spots. But, but let's get back to normal. What was normal? What was normal for, for people in Western New York is not necessarily normal for people in Buffalo. It's not necessarily normal for people in South Carolina. It's not, and, 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 and. There are plentiful parallel and very divergent normals. Mm-hmm. And and so when people say they want to get back to normal, I think they really don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is you and I were talking about it before the show. This is runs. Um, it's congruous with our conversation on authenticity last week. Yeah. Um, you know, authenticity and normality tend to be thought of by people as concrete things, when in reality they're very fluid. You know, there's you know being authentic. Um, you know, there's there's certain parts of your personality um, that will remain relatively static over your lifetime, but there's an even larger number of things about your personality that are going to fluctuate pretty widely um, as you age and as you experience things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Normality is very similar, right? Except in you can look at it within a person, but you can also look at it over geographical areas or over time frames or over these sorts of things. Um you know, it's it's very obvious when you look at it over time frames, right? What's normal now is different from the Industrial Revolution or uh, prehistoric times. Mm-hmm. Um, geography is another big one. You know, some if you were <laughs> if you were to drop you were you or I in the middle of India, um, we'd probably violate a lot of norms without knowing it. Yes, you know? yes. Um, this is a, there's an anthropological, a geographical essence to that yes so in ways that we may be uh normal in the united states you drop us into india right and you're looking at 19 out of 20 people we're almost going to always be that one sore thumb that sticks out but what would be normal <laughs> yes and I'm, I'm totally with you on that but let's 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 take that since we're talking about our context what does it mean to be a normal uh, adhering to normality in the united states I think that's a big challenge. And maybe this is, I'm not trying to knock us off track, but rather just let's pick a target. Right. Yeah, this is, um, this is kind of funny. Uh, my mom had a, my mom had a Facebook post a couple of days ago and she was saying how, um, you know, the U S used to be thought of as a melting pot and, you know, it, you know, that's, what she was taught growing up and that, you know, there seems to be a lot of, um, you know, people that are unaccepting nowadays, right? And then she had, uh, I think it was one of her distant family members um, kind of interjected and was like, well, you know, I don't think that it, we're a melting pot so much as a smorgasbord, right? Like, I think that when you say melting pot, like that gets rid of individual differences and, uh, you know, you can never get rid of individual differences, right? And so they had this back and forth for a while and it was sort of interesting to watch because as the conversation developed um, early on, you know, I wasn't quite sure looking at me. You could easily see the conversation going one of two ways, right? Mm-hmm. You, and on the one hand, I was like, is this guy like a, a, a white supremacist or a neo-Nazi? You know, because he's saying like, 
Well, you can't really blend in if you have different color skin or, you know, canted eyes or something, uh, right? But yeah. then he got farther in and he was more saying that it's, we shouldn't try to get rid of individual differences because that's what makes us unique and this sort of thing. And I thought, well, you know, you may not have articulated it um, <laughs> as well as you could have, but, it, it, you know, so yeah, normality, right? Thinking of that, using that as an example, okay, you can have a, a smorgasbord, let's say, right? Um, think of America that way. All right, we're a bunch of different people that come together in, into one thing. But do oh, we? Right, you exactly. <laughs> and it makes, you, it makes you wonder if the melting pot sort of um, idea was ever a real thing uh, in the first place, right? I think I think it was, and I think that was one of those fun. And I like your mom, like I was, many of us we were told this. This was this was ideological training. This was not this was not getting you to try to think about where you live. This was people handing down to you. This is how we view ourselves. This again is what normalcy is. We, we hand it to you and tell you we, whoever the we happens to be, have established. And usually it's the we who have the legislative uh, capacities or the we who have the economic uh, dominance. This is how we do things. Right. And so if you... you know. <laughs> yeah. So we've gotten to a very critical juncture in this conversation. We've talked about what a norm is and we've talked about what it means to be normal. Mm -hmm. Now what we're heading into is what is normativity? And so a normative yes. notion is what an individual believes should be normal, which is, um, can have no, uh, no basis in fact, but it's what an individual believes should be normal. And I feel like if you look at America, that is sort of the, our identity crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Is we have norms. Every society has norms. Um, we have, Everybody who conforms or non-conforms to those norms in certain ways, so they're normal or abnormal. But what individual Americans or groups of Americans perceive to be normative varies greatly. And that's where a lot of the conflict comes up. Yes. I, you know, and, and I've been thinking about this a long, long time, but I've also been thinking about it uh, in, in a very short time, which was uh, talking about a, a play by Luigi Pirandello last night with an old friend. And we read a play a week, and we, and we, and he taught, he's in 83 now, and he taught theater amazingly, and, uh, and is a real, uh, an, a powerful intellect, and a jolly fellow, and sharp as can be. And he teaches me every time we talk. And this play uh, is, has had various names and translation, but it's essentially, it is so, if that's what you say. It's in parentheses. Mm -hmm. and, and it's about a, a, a small city uh, in which there is a, a person who is a, a, help, a good person uh, goodly up on the ladder in in government, who but but still not at the top of the ladder, and uh, and everybody's talking about why his mother-in-law lives um, near the the counselor who is toward much more further up the ladder in a, a building, but 
that the husband and the wife live uh, somewhat further away, a number of streets down, and they're up in a, a high on a, a, a top floor, and the mother-in-law only can go to the bottom floor and look up and speak to the daughter uh, at a distance. And everybody's wondering why. And this isn't normal. And why are they doing this? We have to find out. And the entire play is about people poking into what they have no business poking into, really. Um, and at the end, you it's not resolved. <laughs> oh, what we'll do is we'll bring the wife down, uh, talk to her separately. The governor will talk to her. And, and, and without the other people around, well, it doesn't really work that way. But she walks in. She has a black veil. You can't see her face. And, and they say, well, but your husband, some people are saying your husband is crazy. Some people are saying your mother is crazy and, and, and that you actually aren't the second wife of the husband. You're the first wife, but he's, he lost her and he can't conceive of you being that. So he's crazy and it gets more complicated, but, and, and she says, they're both right. And that is so. And now everyone leaves. <laughs> and of course, it just and 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 there have been play uh, directors who have changed this play because they said, "No, the audience deserves to know who was right." Nonsense. Perundello was poking at exploring identity and and how we conceive of ourselves. And when there's a marvelous scene in the play in which. The man, uh, Lamberto Laudisi, he's the uh, on the outside. He's not the norm because he's telling all of them, you're never going to find an absolute truth in these relationships. So you might as well just make up the facts that you want to make up and decide for yourself how it is because you're not going to get to the bottom of this because there isn't a bottom to get to. And he's always sort of chuckling away at them as they're trying. But there's a scene in which he has a monologue in which he's talking to himself in a mirror, questioning who that person in the mirror is looking at him. What, what, what am I? Is there a consistency to me? Yes, but no one else can ever see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because, I mean, that's um, part of the research that I did was talking about that, you know, how damaging the – um concept of normality is in uh mental health in you know psychology because they say all right one in every four americans has a diagnosable mental disorder um but most people don't seek treatment or um decide to hide it because they get stigmatized by the larger group of people that are normal um but really like we were like we've talked about so far in this episode everybody is abnormal in some way or at some time in the eyes of some other group who happens to be right the, the, the viewing them right like think of the, the, the word you just you know I'm a, words just delight me so right so if if you have a mental health issue there that people will think of well it's a disorder in other words, it's a fragmenting or a collision or running off from order. 
because of course order is really important and it becomes more and more important as as states and uh, 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 around the planet as states as in referring to governments become more and more authoritarian you know that we want order yeah. <laughs> what does order mean right and that's that's part of that conversation we, we just had earlier about standardization mm-hmm. and, and all these other things um and we've talked about this in in past episodes as well that that's that's just part of human nature is trying to quantify trying to set in its place trying to do these things and language is built around that right you have language to try to uh, be the container that you pour these concepts into but they all spill over into everything else so there's it's again it's not so you're grasping at shadows right it's these aren't things that are are solid concrete things but it's human nature to try to understand them that way in order to try to understand right and and so it's a process it's not a it's not a a, 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 or a Orion kind of warm eating its own tail relativistically. We're not saying, well, everything is normal because nothing is. That's, we're not talking, we're not saying that. But, but I think what it's philosophy requires of us. Uh, and even if we weren't talking in, it's just informally, we're being human requires of us that we acknowledge that things are constantly changing, whether we like it. Or not, and that change doesn't just happen because it just happens. And well, in the universe, there's entropy, right? But but it also happens because people say, "Wait a minute, why are we so hung up on this thing?" So let's get past ourselves and get on to some bigger issues for all of humanity. Well, some social issues are bigger issues for all of humanity. You don't just get past it. Oh, let's solve this one little thing. You know, I I get the impression sometimes that there are there are people, even in, in policing, who are. I've, I've been reading much about the the Chauvin trial, mm. right? And and uh, uncharacteristically, not normally, normal procedure is police do not talk about other police, and and they certainly don't testify much about this. So it's not the the norm of what's going on with the testimonies of so many levels of policing about this man in the George Floyd trial. And I think, oh, well, that's interesting and, and, and good for them. But I also have to wonder, is everybody hoping that, gee, if they find this uh, former officer guilty, is that going to solve all the problems of policing? And of course it's not. Uh, and, and so I think humanity sometimes wants to have a simple answer, almost always wants to have the simple answer. And and that's a norm that cannot be uh, rendered static. Right. And so, yeah, there's sort of these conflicting desires with human society, right? There's the, there's that desire for a homeostatic equilibrium right you you have something that's considered normal and you want to stay there but then there's also those times where norms get broken and it opens up um the ability to expand into new norms mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and you would like to hope that police testifying would fall into that category yes you would. Um, but you know i always i default to music right music's an example you look at uh Jimi Hendrix starting to use distorted guitars, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, that was very abnormal. 
And then it became very common in the 90s. And now it's sort of uncommon again. It's still around, <laughs> but not as much as it used to be. And that's actually the the listener request that um for this show came up when he was listening to a previous show where I mentioned offhand that, you know, the band Kiss that wears the masks and stuff, they... Yeah. You know, they started out as a, a small band somewhere playing bowling alleys, right? <laughs> and so if you imagine seeing Kiss and all their makeup and costumes in a bowling alley, you'd think these guys are crazy. <laughs> but then when they were the biggest band in the world in the 80s, you know, they were they were super cool and everybody loved them. And, they even had a comic book. Right. And, and you know, nowadays, you know, okay, well, you, you, you think it's a little bit, it's a little bit strange, right? But because of how they um, stuck around and influenced society... Um, even if it's, even if it's still considered abnormal, it's not considered, um, strange. Mm -hmm. And so we have these terms that are hard to separate, right? We, we talked about unusual and abnormal earlier or abnormal and strange or these sort of things. <laughs> yes. It seems like they should be uh, synonymous, but we use them in, uh, we don't use them that way. No, we, we, we don't. Uh, no, we, we we don't, and we haven't, and we haven't been using the word that long. Mm. I mean, somebody's listening to us and they said, "Well, yeah, but it goes back to the eighteen hundreds." Yeah, yeah, it's not <laughs> the of human history. <laughs> nah, no. So, yeah. So let's talk about that then. So, if the word has only been around since you know the eighteen hundreds, do you think normality as a concept has existed as long as humans have been around, or? In a different, in a, one form or another, uh, as an unspoken concept, yeah. or, or the, I, I think probably, although evolutionarily, I, I certainly don't know that. I, but I think, put any group of people together, and no matter where they are on any spectrum, of, of any measure, any metric. They are trying to, uh, if they're together long enough, they're trying to find commonality and they're trying to find reinforcement for who they are and what other people are saying. Uh, whether you're drinking a beer or whatever it happens to be and you're laughing and you're saying, well, and, and, and if people start saying things that you're uncomfortable with, you might get into a nervous laughter. You get really quiet and say, I, I can't, this is not, but do I really want to be part of this? Mm. <laughs> and then that's, and that's the linchpin moment. Do I really want to be part of this means you're considering what you think is normal and acceptable. That's the normal versus the normative. Yes. Right. And yeah. that's, that's the issue we've been facing over the past several years with um, Confederate monuments or the founding fathers, these things that we've talked about in yes. previous yes. episodes, yes. right? Yeah. Is what was normal at the time versus what we now think of as a normative notion what should be normal mm -hmm. and trying to compare those across timelines is, is a, a difficult thing and what it demonstrates um is again this the lack of this concrete idea of normal right you know we can you know you can't think of a person as normal you can only look at certain behaviors and certain things well but you see yeah but that's because you're thinking uh, you're a student. You you uh, are approaching it from an intellectual view, as as I do. But there are many people. Of course, they'll say, "Of course, I can say whether that person's normal or not." With if we're saying, but you really ought to think about it better than that, or you think ought to think about it in in deeper terms than that, because 
for for many, normal becomes this point of retreat, this point of entrenchment, this this, this point of, of of a mythical or folkloric reality that probably never really did exist in the way that people like the good old days. We talked, we had a nostalgia episode, right? Right. You you go back and actually look at it face on. Nah, probably not. So first, first select few, perhaps the good old days, but but not for the uh, totality uh, of the collective. And so, yeah, there will be people who that's not normal. Well, that's judgmental based on a pretend metric, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that really doesn't get anywhere. Yeah, and so thinking about this idea of you know normality existing, you know, as as long as humans have been around. I think, yeah, you know, they're probably norms have probably always existed. Um, Normative notions within individuals have probably always existed. And normal behavior as conforming to norms um, has probably always existed. But probably the metrics that define those things, both in quantity and quality, um, have changed versus a hunter-gatherer group and modern people yeah right? yeah I think um I, that's a thought experiment i like doing ever since i read michael crichton's timeline right <laughs> if you were to transport me in a time Good. machine yes. to 2000 bc mm-hmm. how would you be received you know i think about it okay man i'd be almost a foot taller than everybody else have this ridiculously pale skin blue eyes i wouldn't speak the same language would i be held as a god or would i be killed as some kind of alien species yes, yeah, yeah you know like, yeah, yeah. and those are the kind of thought experiments that get you thinking about these ideas of normal or of human uh, collective behavior, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about, okay, well, how do people treat um, somebody that's that different now? And you realize, mm, probably be the more negative outcome. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, out of uh, because fear is a standard that never seem we 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 seem to have a hard collective time growing out of and 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 there are all sorts of kinds of fear and, and fear is partly what helps entrench a, a a false or negative sense of normality and you try to ask people what is it that you're so afraid of there are all these articles out now that uh, the the population growth in the countries is, is back to the levels of 1918. Well, but the veiled message in that is oh, the population who happens to be pale and blue-eyed are not proliferating nearly as much. And you get into all kinds of very grim, I would say ridiculous, and, and ridiculous, but also very, very, very grim and and. and deeply troubling because of where they arise out of. So these, these kind of uh, replacement theory uh, things where, oh, we, we have too much immigration because really all, all the, 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 this is a plot. This is a plot in order to replace people who are uh, white or Caucasian with everybody else. You know, those are foolish, nonsense. I, I can't, I, I, will, I will be as, you know, I'm sorry if uh, if, uh, if offense is taken at hearing somebody say this, but there's no good in that kind of notion. Mm. You know, what's normal for a human being? Is it normal to be kind? If so, you be kind to 
everyone. <laughs> That's Kantian. We're back to, you know, the categorical imperatives. Is it is it normal to be empathic? Or might we want it to be normal to be empathic, but not with a barrier, <laughs> right? So I, I think that that's the discussion of normalcy that I would like to see happen, happening more often, not a nostalgic, let's get back to this, the way things were where this group's in charge and this group is, and we all just have our place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I held forth on that one. But no, no, I think that that was good. And it raises the question of why do norms exist in the first place, right? Do you think <clears throat> norms were developed primarily as a group survival tool? Um, and if that was the case, do you think that that's still why we have them today or do they serve a different purpose? Why do we, <laughs> why do we develop norms in the first place? I think that you're onto something perhaps in the, in the, in the most uh, primal of circumstances, group survival. But then one has to think about, yeah, but, but what was the group? And it, so, so to me, group survival now is like the appendix. Hmm. Unless you're talking about the planetary group, because that's where our survival level is. That's where we are at, whether people like to acknowledge it or not. Either the human population itself is going to survive or it isn't. So, so group survival on a planetary level, I'm with you. Group survival is, oh, but we bluegrass musicians there are not that many of us anymore because we're not how to well and, and, you know and, and, and that's an identification of well what's let's take music again I, I stumbled onto that I didn't even mean to stumble onto that but all right any uh, any any genre of music it comes and it goes but uh, like languages some of them dis- disappear because they aren't uh, taught or or they aren't passed on or there have been active blockages to passing them on. This is what happens to many Aboriginal or native languages when you are not allowed to speak them in, in the 1800s and even into the 1900s in various places in our country. It's an attempt to make a language go extinct. Why? Because if you make a language go extinct, then you can make a group of people's identity go, go extinct. And that helps the survival of the group that's in dominance. <laughs> so, right. yeah. So, yeah. So I think that if we're looking at the the creation of norms, yeah. we talked about last week how humans are a kind of a tribalistic species, right? So yeah. when humans first, you know, were, were hunting and hunting and gathering, <laughs> um, you had a, a dozen or a couple dozen individuals. Um, it probably was a group survival instinct, right? We do this in order to survive, uh, whatever that may be. You know, we, uh, you know, we drink out of cupped hands rather than lapping it up like dogs so we can see what's going on or whatever, you know, yeah, 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 whatever yeah. example you want to use. Um, and that would have served a survival purpose. Um, and then as human society has developed, obviously those things become, the appendix is kind of a good, uh, a good example, right? It's almost a vestigial um, kind of usage. Um, so I guess the question would be, do they serve a different purpose now, or if we're still using them as a group survival tool, um, should we abandon them altogether? I think that's a marvelous question. And and that's, that's, that's the foundational basis for what 
establishing norms as in social order should be. Why do we want this? What is its real seeming use? And what are its potential and probable implications or consequences? <laughs> because we, we, we are, as you said earlier, we are filled with collisions and, and inconsistencies. We, we decide that 55 miles an hour in certain places is probably within the reasonable uh, tolerances of, of safety. But then people say, nope, I know I'm much, I can be safer than that. Ten, ten, I can go 65. Or I can go 75. I drive 75 in Wyoming, state of Wyoming. Why can't I drive 75 on Route 19? All right. <laughs> you know, and I'm better. I have better skills than these other people on the road. And so, and, and, and all of that arrogance and, and all of that uh, over the top self, uh, projected self worth and, and, and ability that one, you may well be a NASCAR driver who can handle high speeds. Do high speeds belong on a certain road? <laughs> Yeah, but I'm American and I don't have to follow the rules. Ah, okay. So normalcy means not following the rules, but <laughs> but yet you want to establish rules about how other people can be around you because you know best and they don't. And so then we get to so this this fringy uh, this this fragile notion of normalcy collapses instantly toss a little stone at it and it breaks like glass <laughs> yeah these are and this is where the discussion really is tying back to our past couple episodes on authority and authenticity right yeah. um because and again music is a good example but it's not it's not the only one we can apply it to it and almost any part facet of society but um when you look at the development of digital music in the early 2000s, right, up until that point, record companies had the authority to decide what music was fit for public consumption. So with that authority, um, bands and musicians would present their material to the authorities um, with varying amounts of authenticity, right? You read interviews from people and they'll say things like, well, I didn't really want to make this music, but I knew at the time that I had to give it this aesthetic in order to get it on the radio or something. So they'd sort of conform and fit into these boxes in order to get their things heard. And that created a normality of music. Mm -hmm. um, you see genres that proliferated at certain times. You know, you had your glam metal in the 80s and your grunge in the 90s and your you know, your psychedelic rock in the 70s, all this different stuff, right? Well, when you got to the early 2000s, um, and, and people like me were able, they had the technology to build a studio in their bedroom, and the internet made it possible to self-distribute music mm -hmm. and things. Mm -hmm. You saw this entire breakdown of music genres. Yes. Um, it's not to say that they still don't exist, right? Record labels still exist, um, and, and large genres of music like pop and country um, and rap still um, dominate the the radio waves and things. Um, but really, underneath that top three um, categories of music, when you look at the genres of jazz or rock or indie or alternative, what you see is something completely different than you ever saw 
at any point in history. And so you could look at that and say, oh, well, this is aberrant. This is completely out of the normal. What happened, you know, that, that people suddenly started making different music? Yeah. But it's probably not that the people are making wildly different music so much as that the authorities that had a grip on what was normal lost that grip and people were more inclined to authentically produce certain things. When you look at it that way and then you look at different facets of society um, and especially a big one when you look at um, conservative uh, folks and with gay or transgender people, right? Is that sort of thing. It's like, where did all these people come from in the past five or ten years? You know, it didn't used to be this way. Well, it's kind of the same discussion, right? You look at yeah. how authority yeah. and normalcy and authenticity all sort of interrelate to each other. Yeah. Then you start to understand why um, something can be more normal or less normal, why we have more or less tolerance for what is considered normal in different areas. Um, and when, when it's, it's, it's historically documented and sociologically uh, understandable and real that that groups that we call marginalized groups are actually people who've always been human beings with us as human beings but but now it's because you know what i think i think what's really what you said just struck a, a connecting point here for me because I was thinking of the the music awards that were just happening a week or two ago, reading about it, and and people were getting upset because so much music seemed to be crossing genres. I think people are afraid of cross genre genre walls breaking down in literature, in sexuality, in gender, in the, how how am I supposed how am I supposed to quantify you and box you in if if you are crossing genres, if you if the boundaries are disintegrating? There's the point of hope for me. Even as a literary person, I love poetry. I have some notions of what poetry is, but gee, when I read a book that has poetry, art, essaying, and fiction all woven together as as the as the design of the book. My goodness, that's a good soup. That really tastes. Yeah, <laughs> you and you gave me a book that was—it's one of the best books I ever read, *The Unflattening*. Yes, that was—it was phenomenal, and that's exactly what it is. There's this visual representation of um, the words being written that really just touches you in a certain way. But um, yeah, and so we're getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Which is that um, when you're talking about music genres or whatever the case may be, whatever category you're looking at. Um, really, it's just a piece of language that's meant to be a container to hold a concept. Um, but we have this unfailing um, belief that a word means a certain thing when the meaning behind words can change. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of our, our problem with uh, normalcy. Um, mm-hmm. So... Looking at that, what what causes people to violate norms then? Looking at what we were just talking about with authority and authenticity and, and these sorts of things, what causes people to violate norms? Oh, I suppose there's a basket full of, of reasons. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take one that is me. At a certain point in my 
teaching. I just decided I was trying to decide, let myself wear what I want to wear. For a long time, I wore ties, and oh, okay, fine, but the ties are constricting, and I just didn't find them doing anything. So I finally gravitated toward match, not matching, but, uh, but but sport jackets that would somehow accentuate a particular superhero or pop cultural or referential Star Wars, Star Trek superheroes, whatever, shirt with a decent pair of pants. And, and sneakers that would in some way have colors or patterns that would complement those things. So that uh, one couldn't, one could say he's, and I've had people say, well, you look unprofessional. Oh, I'm out of the norm for mm-hmm. professionality. Uh, tell me, what is a profession? And, and, and what does professionalism mean? Does it mean I have to look like everybody else within the profession? Does it mean that we have a uniform, even though we say we don't have uniforms? Yeah. <laughs> so it became a point of not just self-expression, which has has been delightful uh, for me, and in which I've I've allowed myself, even when I'm not in the classroom anymore formally, uh, because it's authentic to me, even though I have brands on me, right? I, Today I have the X Men. Well, I, I wore that on purpose because I thought, you know, all of our stories. Most, I would say, most or even all of our stories ultimately are about collisions with, with, and attempts to uh, rein in or or deal with what's normal and what's not. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly what Marvel Comics has been doing for for decades and decades and decades. This this group that's different than others, this group that is is preyed upon because uh, and and feared because X, Y, and Z. And yet they contribute to humanity. Mm-hmm. And and I find that a marvelous a marvelous ongoing theme. So so normalcy is uh, is challengeable. And needs to be challengeable on any number of levels, from the su- so visually superficial to to the metaphorically deeper reason one is doing it. Uh, and, uh, a reminder: I, I uh, Socrates, it's the self-described ugly man, <laughs> walking around being a gadfly. Uh, the society needs gadflies. They need to be pricked and poked and. No, <laughs> think again, uh, and 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 so I, I. That's what I think normalcy always needs. Yeah, and it it's funny because <clears throat> I think that there is there's there's an interplay between authority and authenticity and and normalcy, and I think that the music example that I used earlier yeah. is is a pretty good template for why people start breaking norms. I think if they if you have a strong authority, um. It can act as a deterrent. There's always going to be people that stand up for what they authentically believe or what they normatively mm-hmm. believe mm-hmm. should be. Um, but the group as a whole um, has a hard time accepting those sorts of things until an authority can no longer enforce the opposing view. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, think about, think about it, it. This is the basis of ideological training. Normalcy often becomes synonymous with the practice of, of ideological training. I, I go to something like the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Which is that people get really upset because people uh, 
take a knee during a, a during a, a the, the anthem, or they or they they refuse to stand up, and they have the right to refuse to stand up for the pledge. And you say, well, what's that about? We'll read the pledge. What's the pledge about? It's not about first and foremost giving your allegiance. What do little kids know about allegiance? Uh, so we train it into them. It's just <clears throat> they can repeat the words. But when we don't talk about what that means and the implications of that, then we've created a false normalcy. It's a safe normalcy for adults to say, see, we've taught them all these things. You probably pledge allegiance to the flag. And to the republic for which it stands. But first and foremost, to that piece of fabric. So you're telling people that you need to pledge your total loyalty to a piece of fabric. Oh, and by the way, I guess the country to which for which that fabric stands. But that's that. And if you stop and you think about that, you he's being un-American for saying this. No, I'm not. I'm not because the pledge itself has gone through monumental changes, partly because of the Red Scare. Read the original Pledge of Allegiance that was generated what Mount Morris. <laughs> And then, and then, and then read the current one, and then and see how it was changed by a legislative body, and then required to be said, and and you say, well, there's a, there's a there's a story of normalcy, in a nutshell. Yeah, and and this is this is the concept of philosophy is looking at these things and looking at them a little bit closer because the flag itself has changed over time, right? <laughs> so what's to say when you add another star that it's the same flag? Now, obviously, mm-hmm. that seems like a ridiculous sort but, of argument to bring up. But, yes. It's but that's, a, that's, that's the concept of philosophy, is, is looking at these things a little bit deeper than, than you'd consider. Mm-hmm. And um, something that might seem very trivial like that, in certain contexts, can be very big for other people. And we've yeah. mostly spent the episode looking at um, you know, in, interpersonal um definitions of normality yes yes we have and uh you know something you said about uh socrates there being the gadfly right we have these ideas of what's normal for certain people as well you know so you can think if he's an ugly guy and he and he's smart well that that seems to make sense right well i remember having this um when i was in the army we'd have mandatory um sexual harassment and assault trainings right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um at the time you know, they were saying they were trying to define what harassment is um, and really comes down to almost anything. If you are making somebody else uncomfortable, it, it's harassment, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. A kid stood up next to me um, who described himself as a gadfly. He said, well, this isn't fair because if I do something and Bouchard does something, he can get away with it because he's good looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <And> so, <laughs> Some of us learn that story. The, the, <laughs> uh, uh, us tubby gadflies, we uh, <laughs> not nice looking gadflies learn that story very early. <laughs> and, and so that was funny, right? Because, um, you know, I, I've, you know, I've talked before. Um, I had another story where I, I had ended up defending another girl from sexual harass- sexual assault really right yeah. um and so what's interesting to me about that is up until that point i'd never thought of it that way right i'd always just thought about what's the 
what's the right thing to do versus the wrong thing. And I tried to do the right thing. When he said that, and all of a sudden I realized, okay, the, the descriptions of harassment they had given, you know, if you look at somebody a certain way, or if, you know, anything like this, and I realized I could get away with a lot of this stuff that other people couldn't get away with. Mm -hmm. And you think about that sort of privilege, and then you extrapolate that out to various different things, right? I'm a man. I'm white. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't describe myself as good looking, but other, some other people would, <laughs> right? I have some, I have education. I have all of these things, right? And some of them are um, things that I was born with, and some of them are things that I've achieved. Mm -hmm. And some of them are things that I've achieved because I was born with. Yes certain characteristics yes. right yes but the what it all boils down to is that that almost in in creates uh, an entitlement right of what i can consider normal for myself versus what other people can consider normal for themselves and that just doesn't apply to what um some people consider sexual harassment and some people don't it goes to all different levels from employment to criminal justice to all of these different things. Yes, it does. And 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 in so <clears throat> sorry, in so questioning and coming to the realization of of, of what m was transparent, you're not bashing yourself. You're not saying I should just stop living because I I I have all of this privilege. You're not. You're not. You're, what you're saying is we need to rethink. I've arrived at the place where I'm rethinking. Well, we should be rethinking all the way through our lives. You know, right? and, and, and that's part of what education, I'm going to use this word we've had a, as a bugaboo forever, a true education, <laughs> causes one to do. If education does nothing but build one's own ego and convince yourself that you know everything in the field, uh, then education has failed you entirely. <laughs> and, and at least in my not so humble opinion. And, and, and so that the questioning of the normalcy of practice, I mean, what, what are workshops in a, in a, in a factory about or in, in any kind of manufacturing? Have we achieved the best practice ever? Well, Probably not, and so you 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 have time together where you brainstorm ideas. You have you've talked to me before about all, all the things that that one goes through in a company to to try to find the best working relationships among everyone, and and how things whether it's how things are stacked, where how far you have to walk to get inventory, whatever it happens to be. Well, that's true for any level of normality. Because it's really about the structural, what seems to be transparently the the given structure of a of a group, and nor and when normalcy becomes well, this is this is just how it is, and this is how we do it, then thought has gone away. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. Is you know, I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, but we have a, a continual improvement system where you know people have to have a suggestion for how to improve efficiency or cost savings or safety or something. So that's not, there's no end goal there. That's something that's continually developing on top of that in our safety program. Um, if we fill out an accident report, there's a section for 
what the root cause is and what the preventative measure will be. And it says right there under root cause in parentheses, it says saying that it was employee carelessness or if you're trying to blame it on the employee is not a reasonable answer. Mm-hmm. And that forces you, no matter what happened, what you're saying is this isn't the employee's fault. We provided a workplace that was unsafe under whatever condition they hurt themselves in. Extrapolate that out to society, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. think about how we look at things now and what sort of things we try to blame on groups of people just for being who they are versus what sort of society we are forcing them to operate in. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So this has been a great discussion. We, um, I think we did cover a lot of ground in a lot of different directions. Um, We didn't get anywhere near going as in depth in any one direction as we could. So we'll see. And I'm sure down the road, we're going to revisit a lot of this, but I think it was, it was a good and I And I do want to insert this because I, I know you've, you're thinking the same thing. It was really nice that somebody said, would you talk about X? I, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We've been getting a, a couple of listener suggestions recently and uh, we, we definitely welcome. If you've got something you want us to talk about, uh, let me know and we'll, uh, we'll get to them. <laughs> Until next time, keep talking. Thank you.